In Lamentations 3, you'll see the weeping and the pain that these guys are going through as they are waiting for the Lord, and it puts a lot of meaning into that phrase there. This is so counterintuitive. It is good to wait. Uh, We don't like to wait, and yet the likelihood is every one of you has had to wait for something this past week. It seems like any time I try to figure out which line is the shortest line in the grocery store, the one I go into ends up being the longer line. Uh, Waiting is uh, hard for people. For children, they have a hard time waiting, you know, to open up the Christmas presents uh, because there's a restlessness there. They want to know uh, what uh, is in that present. And um, we have many different ways in which we struggle over that. Uh, Every one of you has probably had times where you have had to wait for an appointment, maybe 15 minutes or so, or maybe the guy never even showed up and you had to wait a whole lot longer. And it creates uh, within us kind of a a little bit of a a tension because there's an uncertainty about the future and life at that point is outside of our control. By the way, that may be one of the reasons why it's good for us to wait uh, in in God's providence because He wants us to be depending on Him and not so much on our controlling Uh, his uh, providences but we really don't um, uh, care for it too much and those of you who are very highly scheduled probably have had a lot of things even in this past week that just did not seem like good timing you know the poopy diaper had to come right at that time Uh, not very convenient Uh, even this uh, past week two weeks actually Uh, There were a lot of things in my schedule that just did not seem like they fit. You know, the computer crash that lost a month's worth of work and the network that was down. We couldn't figure out what was wrong for about six hours and then realized somebody had plugged in a loose cord and it formed a loop and, boy, it took everything down. It was terrible. And then the frantic call, you know, of somebody who's depressed outside the church and needing some help. All kinds of things that I think, oh, I don't have the time. I'm behind schedule. I'm never going to get done for a providential history festival. But, you know, God is thinking, you know, Phil Kaiser really still struggles with his besetting sin of fear and anxiety. I'm going to allow these things in his life. And from God's perspective, this is perfect timing because he cares about Phil Kaiser's sanctification, right? And so today we're going to be looking at another form of waiting Uh, It's waiting in prayer. We've prayed and we've prayed to the Lord and the Lord has not answered us. Maybe it's an emergency. We think think God has to show up. This is a desperate emergency and He doesn't show up or He shows up late. At least from our perspective, He shows up late. And so uh, we're going to uh, take a, uh, a look here at how God fails to show up on time fails to show up on time, at least from man's perspective. And yet Ecclesiastes says, to everything there was a season, there was a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time for everything. He has it all mapped out completely. Uh, From hindsight, we can see the incredibly perfect timing that God had in the incarnation of Jesus who was brought forth at the fullness of time and all of the details were intricately woven together like a jigsaw puzzle uh, by the Lord. But if you're in the shoes of the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, you probably are wondering about the timing of a lot of things. For example, was it really good timing for her to be pregnant before this long trip up to Bethlehem? And more to the point, is it good timing for Rome to require 
them to be up in Bethlehem right during her last week of pregnancy. I mean, you women, I think, can relate to all of the bumps. Every bump on the road going up there on that donkey is uh, very, very tough and inconvenient. And then they get to Bethlehem and they got the inconvenience of having no room in the inn. It's late at night. Where are we going to sleep? Well, they finally do find a place in the in the uh, the barn, I guess it is, uh, and probably not the most convenient. He's glad to get that. But it, it's, it's even worse than that. She goes into labor that night. After a long day's travel, she goes into labor. And then what happens? The shepherds show up. You know, why do the angels have to invite the shepherds that night? Why couldn't it be the next night after she's had a little bit of sleep? You get the point. I mean, sometimes we might get the feeling God doesn't care about us. What's wrong with His timing? And yet we know His timing is perfect and He knows all of our needs and all of our situations. And so we want to look at this, um, this situation in the life of Martha and Mary where Lazarus is sick. It's a very dangerous a situation, so they send the messenger to Jesus and say, you've got to come quick. He hears about it, and he waits for two days. In the meantime, Lazarus dies, and uh, from a human perspective, uh, this is probably the worst example I could find of a wait passage. We looked at the no uh, passage last time. There's lots of wait passages, but this almost is so extreme, it almost looks like it's a no, doesn't it? But it's not a no. God answers yes, but it's not in the timing that uh, they might have perhaps wished. And I think most of you have experienced that. Perhaps you have prayed for healing. You've prayed every day that the Lord would heal you. And uh, there's no healing. There's no healing. And a week and a half later, finally, you're over your sickness. Now, the temptation might be to say, God didn't answer. It was actually a wait. You think, well, not just happened. No, nothing just happens. Apart from God bringing healing, you would not be healed. He upholds every atom of your body by the word of His power. And He works with medicine. He works apart from medicine. But the Lord is the one who is directing all of these events. And we need to give Him glory whether He heals us as the moment we pray or whether He heals us ten days later. It's a wait uh, in terms of His answer to our prayers. But there are many reasons why God, do, God does this, and we're going to be looking at those good reasons. But what I want us to do is I want us to evaluate, is this passage relevant to what I am going through today? Perhaps you've sought the Lord for guidance, and after two weeks of praying, Lord, give me guidance, you're just as confused today as you were on day one that you've been seeking His guidance. Why would the Lord... Uh, make us wait. And there's an excellent example of this in Jeremiah chapter 42. In fact, you could just mark it in your bulletins, Jeremiah 42, because I think it's a wonderful, um, um, wonderful passage. What happened is that the king of Babylon replaced one king in Israel with Gedaliah. Gedaliah was his puppet king, and he stationed a garrison of Babylonians there. But there were some revolutionaries within Israel who killed off uh, this garrison of Babylonians killed Gedaliah, which is not a smart thing to do because Babylon's just going to come in and stomp them real good. Well, there is, there is a remnant of Israelites that are faithful to the Lord and they're in the land and they're scared to death. And so they go to Jeremiah and they say, would you seek the Lord as to what we should do? We're afraid if we stay here in the land that we're going to get killed by Babylon because this is a, a crazy act that they did. Should we stay here? Should we flee to Egypt? 
Now, here's what it says in chapter 42, verse 7. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, it's very easy to read that and say, okay, fine, God gave them guidance that they prayed for. But if you're in their shoes and you're wondering if any day Babylon's going to show up and kill, slaughter everybody, you're thinking, Lord, we need guidance now. Why are you waiting for 10 days? I mean, it's very difficult for people who are having anxiety in their hearts to be waiting in that way. Has that happened to you? Uh, you think you need to have guidance right now and God says, no, I'm not going to give it to you right now. I'll give you guidance, but you're going to have to wait because I'm teaching you a lesson through these circumstances. Another example of Samuel and Saul. Samuel tells Saul, don't do anything until I come give you a word from the Lord. And uh, he waits and he waits and he waits. And uh, at the very last minute, Samuel does show up, but it's too late. Saul's already taken action into his own hands and he failed the test. Now, perhaps you've been in a different situation. You've been perplexed over a biblical doctrine or passage. You say God wants to give illumination to His people. And you've been studying and studying, and this doctrine just doesn't make any sense to you whatsoever. And there have been doctrines I've studied in the past. And, you know, it took a while before the lights went on. Uh, Michelle Bennett uh, told me that uh, one time she was just driving in the car and all of a sudden the lights went on and she understood the doctrine she hadn't understood, you know, for quite some time. This happens, but why does God wait for so long if He wants us to know uh, the truth? Why is it that we pray for our loved ones and uh, we want them to understand the doctrines of grace or eschatology or other doctrines that have blessed us and have been foundational and brought so much comfort to us and they just don't get it? God does not, at least right away, Give them insight uh, into His Word. Maybe, maybe the problems you've prayed for are financial or material. I don't think I need to belabor the point any, any further. This passage is relevant to the things that we go through uh, every week. And before we look at God's reasons for the delays, what I want to do is I want to tackle some of the inappropriate responses that tend to come out of our hearts. Maybe they won't be on your lips, but our hearts kind of feel this way. The first inappropriate reaction is to question God's wisdom. Now, these sisters may have wondered if Jesus just didn't know what was uh, going on. Surely, if Jesus knew, he would be here by now. Why is Jesus not showing up? Maybe the messenger didn't give him the message uh, properly, but uh, they may have questioned uh, his knowledge. And yet we know from the account, Jesus knows about the sickness. He knows about the death. Uh, in verse 4, he tells his disciples that this sickness is not for the purpose of bringing about Lazarus' dead. He said, yeah, he is dead, but he's not going to be permanently dead. That's not the, the purpose. Uh, God did not want him dead yet. He still had plenty of uh, time for ministry in God's plans. But Martha and Mary, they don't know that. And I've talked with Christians who have a real hard time believing that God can... can really uh, appreciate what they're going through. They, they don't question God's omnip, uh, om, omniscience. They know God knows everything, but yeah, it's easy for God. He's omnipotent and He's got all these perfections, but for me, He can't understand the pain that I'm going through. Well, that's the whole point of the incarnation. God became f flesh in the person of Jesus Christ so that He could be tempted with every temptation you have and experience all of the frustrations that you experience so that He could say, yes, I have experiential knowledge of what you are going through. So never question his wisdom or his knowledge. 
A second inappropriate reaction is to think that God is indifferent. Yeah, He knows about me, but He really doesn't care about me. I want you to look at verses 5 and 6 again. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so, or as the um, earlier New King James translation, therefore, when He heard that He was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where He was. Now, the NIV completely obscures the, um, the meaning of the passage here through their translation, not literal. In fact, they give the exact opposite of the Greek here, and it's probably because they're confused. It seems like the exact opposite of what the passage should be saying. Here's how the NIV words it. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, as if the delay was despite his love. Really, it's the opposite. It was because of his love that he delayed uh, two days. We began with the verse in Lamentations, it is good that one should hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. It's a manifestation of the Lord's love in your life. And so the, the New King James here, so, or some translate it, therefore, or some even because of this, it's a very strong uh, word there. The reason he stayed away for two more days is because he loved them so much and he wanted the best in their lives. So let me read that verse again because this is something I think a lot of people struggle with. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Brothers and sisters, if you've ever questioned whether God is indifferent, it just seems as if He doesn't care about your particular situation. He's showing up in everybody else's life. Why doesn't He show up in my life? I want you to meditate deeply on these verses or meditate on a verse like 1 Peter 5, verse 7, where it says He cares for you. He cares for you. Cast your cares, burdens on the Lord, knowing that He cares for you. Uh, we cannot question this if we are to pray in faith. Again, um, wise parents delay their child's request, razor blade, for example, or a knife, until their child is mature enough to be able to use that knife. It's love that dictates the delay in giving that knife to a child, right? It's the same with the Lord. Uh, so the reaction to God's delay should not be to question His knowledge, to not think He's indifferent, and nor should we think somehow we're maybe less important uh, or a lower priority in God's uh, big scale of things. That's another thing that many times goes through people's minds. Okay, I know that God loves me, but He's busy with all kinds of things and I'm a little bit lower priority. Given the incredible danger that Jesus was in, the disciples m must, might have assumed uh, that Jesus was delaying for two days because his life is more important than Lazarus's life. Or maybe if they're real conceited, our lives are more important than Lazarus's life. Uh, look down there at verses 7 through 9. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you're going there again? The implication is you're crazy if you think we should be going up there. We're going to be walking right into a trap. Lazarus's life is not as important as your life. We're interested in preserving your life, Christ, and maybe their own lives. Uh, uh, I want you to take a look at verse 16. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And he takes the exact opposite. He says, okay, since he's insisting we go, 
maybe our lives are less important than Lazarus's life was. Now, it is a testimony of faith. He's willing to die with Christ. But <clears throat> I think his, uh, the, the underlying assumption is completely wrong. Jesus has tailor-made everything about this situation for their good. Verse 15, he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. It's for their sakes. He cared about them. And so don't ever think that um, uh, God uh, does not answer your requests. You are a child who is dearly loved by Him, and every one of your requests is either answered no out of love, yes out of love, or it's in a pending pile. Yeah, but I've got a better time that you're going to appreciate uh, in the future. One last reaction uh, could be that God can't handle this problem. Now, we're all good Calvinists. We don't believe that, right? Wrong. <laughs> I think we tend to. We wouldn't ever express that because we know that just doesn't fly. But our hearts sometimes think this is just too tough for the Lord to take on. Look at verse 21. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, but some people might think, but now it's too late. She doesn't come to that logical conclusion. We'll get to that in a moment. But if you'd been here, now it's too late. Some people down through history have indeed said, okay, this situation is beyond even God's ability to fix. And you can think of Sarah. God has promised for years she's going to have a child. Here she is, an old lady, way, way, way past menopause. And God says she's going to have a child. She laughs. She's thinking, that's just impossible. There are some things like my infertility that even God cannot take care of. Now, yours may be a problem that's quite different. You might think uh, it's impossible to even think that we could have America turned around, have a godly uh, biblical Senate and Congress and uh, godly biblical uh, uh, you know, presidential office and all the way down to the local level. But let me tell you something. There is nothing that is too difficult for God. We can't say that there is anything that is beyond the Lord's uh, ability to, to deal with. So those are some of the inappropriate responses that come out of our hearts. And if they have come out of your hearts, just tell the Lord, Lord, please forgive me. I tend to not operate in faith. I tend to operate in terms of what people think are possible. So cleanse me of that. But here are some of the reasons, and I think these are very encouraging reasons uh, given in this passage for God's delays. First of all, God delays on occasion because it brings Him far greater glory. Look at verse 4. Then Jesus heard that. When Jesus heard that, He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And He was. What an incredibly wonderful testimony to God's power the resurrection of Lazarus was. Now, if you knew, if you knew for a fact, you know, God is going to be just incredibly glorified by not answering your prayer this week, by waiting for a month, you'd say, go for it. That's great. Because uh, we want God's glory, don't we? Every one of us wants God's glory. So when we realize all of these delays are for God's glory, it makes it a little bit hard, easier for us to, to swallow uh, those, those answers of wait. Uh, look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
So it's a, it's a faith issue. Lord, I do want Your glory. And by faith, I thank You that however You answer this prayer, whether it's right now or whether it's in a week, uh, You're going to be glorified. And that is my heart's desire. And so it's a great, great reason. Here's 1 Peter 4, verse 11. It says, This should be our heart's desire, that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Second reason for God's delays is that they are always for our spiritual good. So, it's not as if that's to the exclusion that God's glory excludes our good and our joy and our comfort. Um, No, He's doing this for our good. And verse 15 says that explicitly. It's for their sakes that he was doing this. It was for their benefit. Now again, if you knew absolutely that it would be to your uh, far better benefit for the Lord to delay by a month rather than having it right now when you feel it's critically needed, you'd be delighted with the Lord's wait. Well, you can just rest your hearts in that. You can bank on that being absolutely true. It is for your spiritual benefit. So, if God were to just speak right now, and He's not going to tell you this. He'll tell me this maybe, not you. No. <laughs> I'll give you $1,000 now, $100,000 at the end of the year. I mean, every one of you would take the $100,000, wouldn't you? You'd say, sure, I'll wait, for, I'll wait for a year. Now, some people wouldn't. They are so present-oriented. Uh, all that matters to them is what's in their pocket right now. But I think you guys have developed sufficient deferred gratification that that would be a slam dunk. You'd take $100,000 later. Well, this is, this is a principle of life. If God is making a delay, it is for your good. Romans 8, 28 guarantees that. Verse 15 gives another reason for this delay. Jesus said, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Everything about this uh, was designed to increase their faith in, in the Father, in God's loving care for them. Uh, to this day, people delight in the doctrine of Christ that comes from uh, these, these chapters, and their faith is encouraged from these chapters. So it wasn't just for their faith, it's for our faith as well. But, uh, you know, when we, when we resist the idea that we have to have difficulties in our lives, our faith is never stretched. We want to grow in faith. I think every one of you wants to grow in faith. But the way that faith grows is by being stretched outside of our comfort zone. Lamentations again. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Now, related to the increase of faith is the next point. One of His purposes was to force His disciples to live by the light that they had already been given to them. Okay, this is going to be a little bit tougher one to wrap your brain around, but let's let's try uh, looking at verses 9 and 10. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, he starts with an illustration of natural light, and then he applies it in verse 10 to inward light. And so it's obviously a spiritual metaphor. But he's saying, everybody knows that there's 12 hours of darkness, there's 12 hours of day, and nobody struggles with that. Nobody's frustrated with the fact that we've got 12 hours of night. No, they go about their duties in the light that they have. Now, what he does when he applies it in the spiritual realm is he says, we need to walk in exactly the same, uh, same realm in the spiritual. 
Very powerful illustration. So many Christians refuse to step out in obedience to the Lord because they don't know what the future holds. It's dark. Uh, they're frustrated. Uh, they say, Lord, we need more light about the future. I'm scared to take my steps of obedience. And what God is saying is there's always going to be some things you don't know. There's always going to be some darkness in the future, but you've got to obey what you already know to be true. Walk in the light. God will take care of the darkness issue. Some people freeze up because they stumbled in the darkness before. Don't worry about that. You move forward in the light that God has already given. Now, in this case, Martha and Mary, um, you know, they, they don't know what's going to happen two days from then. The disciples don't know if they're still going to be alive two days from then. They don't know the future. And there are things about our future we simply will not know until they actually happen. And we cannot allow that uncertainty to make us stop being obedient to the Lord. Does that make sense? Uh, it's a little bit harder one to explain, but he's just saying, just like you would in, the, in a regular natural realm, you'd walk in, in the light and not worry just because you stumbled at nighttime. You're not going to be, you know, you, whoa, I can't be walking out here during the day. No, in the day you just go full bore on the things you know uh, to, to do. Okay, verse 11 gives another reason for this delay, and that is, to help us realize that our critical events are not that serious when looked at from an eternal perspective. And you might think, what could be more serious than dying? You know, that's pretty serious stuff. But look at verse 11. Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. He's not denying that Lazarus has, has died. And verses 12 through 14, Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Uh, I think it's kind of an excuse on their part. Oh, good. He's just sleeping. Let's not go. Uh, you know, this is kind of dangerous territory. But in verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So why didn't he say that in the first place? Well, I think what he was trying to do was to give them perspective on how serious death was. For a believer, death should not be fearful. For a believer, it's just like falling asleep to this world and waking to another world. It's not all that critical. Now, if that's true about death, how much more so is it true about all of the other emergencies that we think God's got to show up right now or everything's going to hit the fan? You know, it's just we've got to have an answer right now. And yet we find when God doesn't answer us right away, it wasn't the all-fired emergency that we really thought it was. Uh, down through the 22 years that I've been ministering in Omaha, I've occasionally had people like uh, couples, I can think of some examples where they've been in a fight and they call me up late at night, oh, pastor, you've got a 10, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, you've got to come over to our house because uh, you know, there's going to be a divorce if we don't intervene right now. And I remember on at least a couple of occasions, I mean, I had done some interventions, you know, late at night, but I, a couple of occasions I said, you know what, this problem did not start in one hour and it's not going to get resolved in one hour. It's not going to do you guys any, any, make any problem if you just go to bed, get up in the morning and we'll talk about it then. And interestingly, on a couple of occasions, the next morning didn't seem all that bad. <laughs> 
But a lot of times our emergencies just seem like it's the end of the world right now. And what he's trying to do is he's saying, look at it in terms of eternity. The, the, the dangers and the problems that we're facing are not as serious as uh, sometimes we make them, uh, make them out to be. Uh, what was it that um, uh, Ron Dotzler said? Um, his, his folks were telling him that he should not move into the inner city in Omaha. He believed God was calling him there. And they were saying, look, it's dangerous. It's not good. You've got a whole bunch of kids and they could get shot. It's being irresponsible. And his response was, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The most dangerous place to be is outside of God's will, even if it means you're living in West Omaha. It's dangerous to be outside of God's will. So here, here are these disciples. They don't want to go lest they die. Martha wants them to come lest Lazarus die, dies. And, 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 and the point is we've got to be looking to what is our responsibility that we know from the Scripture God has called us to do. I think the Puritans had an expression... Well, one expression was trust God and keep your powder dry. Uh, I like that one. But the other one was the duty is ours, the outcome is God's. What's the thing we tend to worry about the most? It's the outcome. It's what's God's responsibility. It's none of our business to worry about whether God's going to take care of His responsibility. He always does. Why is it we neglect our responsibilities and we always worry about God's responsibilities? And so I think that's the, the whole point here that uh, Christ is trying to give them uh, perspective on. Okay, I've already dealt with uh, verse 15. Let's, um, let me give you another purpose in verse 16. To make us consciously willing to face danger for Christ. Now, Thomas probably would have preferred that Jesus would heal Lazarus from a distance. He's already done it three times already. Um, he did it with a nobleman's son, the centurion's son, and with a Syrophoenician's daughter. He just said, you know, they're healed. He didn't even have to show up. So why can't he do that with Lazarus? Uh, it'd be very easy for Jesus to have <clears throat> healed him or just not even made him uh, get sick at that point. But I think what was happening is God was deliberately crafting this to push them out of their comfort zone and make them willing to face danger for his name's sake. Verse 16, Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. What a cool testimony. I think he gets a bad rap, you know, doubting Thomas. He did doubt, you know, later on. But here, this is a tremendous testimony of faith. He's willing to die for Christ. Are we willing to face danger for the Lord? Sometimes the things that make us feel this is just a disastrous emergency, God has got to show up right now, is because it takes us out of our comfort zone. We want to be comfortable. <clears throat> In um, uh, verse 22, Martha, several miles away, she also passed the test. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, what God will give you. Even now. Now, God doesn't always give us big tests like he gave uh, to them. <clears throat> but usually, and he's done this with the other disciples, if you trace through the, 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 the gospel account, you'll see he initially um, gave them uh, challenging assignments that really stretched their faith but it was way less than what he's giving them here. Uh, when you're training your kids, you know, if they can already easily do up to this line and that's the only assignments that you give to them, they're never going to grow. What you need to do is not give them such a huge assignment that they're failing every time that they try to do it, 
but to give them just enough above what they're able to do right now where they have to depend upon God's grace. It forces them out of their comfort zone and say, Lord, I don't feel like I can do this, but I'm willing to try. And as God gives them success, He's able to mature them and take them into victory after victory in their lives. That's what God uh, was doing uh, in their lives here. But uh, anyway, back to this point. Sometimes God's delays are to test our willingness to face danger for Him. Are we willing to do that? Face discomfort. Another purpose uh, given in those verses I read is to produce submission. Uh, God does not want us to treat Him like a cosmic bellboy who's at you know our beck and call, Lord, do this, go do this, go over here, do the other thing. God is the master, we are the servants, and we, He wants us to be praying according to His will. Our prayers always need to be God-centered, and that's the problem with a lot of our prayers. They're so man-centered. That's the sermon last week and uh, this week. And so sometimes, even though God delights in delighting us, He delights in answering our prayers, sometimes He'll say no, or sometimes He'll say wait to test out and sound out our hearts and show to us, oh, I've got petulance in my heart. Uh, I've got lack of submission in my heart. Uh, I, I'm really not responding to the Lord as I ought to respond. Now, Mary, I think, is wonderful here. She's persevering in prayer, which we must do, but she also shows submissiveness. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's asking, but she's leaving it up to Him. She's showing submission. And then finally, this delay was designed to draw others to Christ and to extend His kingdom. Now again, who of you would not gladly have God say wait for your prayers if you knew that a loved one or a friend would come to a saving knowledge of Christ? I think every one of us would be delighted uh, if uh, God would do that. Look at verse 37. And some of them said... Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So here's a huge crowd of people who believe Jesus had power in life. What God is going to show him is Jesus has power over death as well. He has power over death. Now, even if there had been no resurrection, the resurrection, oh boy, that glorified God incredibly. But even if there had been no resurrection, this would have brought incredible glory to God. Incredible glory. Out in Ethiopia... Funerals are often the greatest opportunities for outreach because everybody from the neighborhood is socially required to show up at a funeral. Now, you go to the pagan funeral and you can see despair written all over their faces. They are cutting themselves with knives, just blood just pouring down the, the fronts and sides of them and they're falling on the ground and you can just see they know about the demonic and they know about the afterlife not being a pleasant place to go to. They're fearful. They have despair. They have no hope. Now, those same people, they come over to a Christian funeral they see a message that shows that Christ has conquered death and that uh, those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are justified. As Gary said, that they are adopted as sons and daughters. They're going to have an inheritance in heaven. They see the songs of celebration and hope. Yes, they see some weeping, but they see joy radiating from these people and hope on their faces. They say, I want that. That's what I want in my life. And so thousands and thousands, probably tens of thousands of people in Ethiopia have come to a saving knowledge of God by going to a funeral. It's just a, it's just a wonderful thing. 
Well, look at the purpose for Christ's prayer and miracle in verse 42. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe. Now, did they believe? Yes, they did. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in Him. Who of you would not gladly have God say, just wait, son, I'm going to answer, but it's going to be a year. It's not going to be in the, the week that you're hoping. You'd gladly say, yes, Lord, I submit to that. If you knew God was going to draw someone to a saving knowledge of Christ. So here are some glorious reasons that can encourage your hearts, give you comfort, and to give you absolute confidence to just keep on praying and trusting in the Lord, no matter whether it's an instantaneous Yes, whether it's a wait or providentially, it ends up being an absolute no. Let me end by reading the passage in Lamentations that we began with. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Amen. Father God, we come to You and confess our restless hearts that have a hard time waiting. Father, we put this under the cross of Christ and we want to learn how good it is to wait upon You. Father, You are such a generous God. It's over and over again. You have abundantly showered us with things that we in no way deserve. You have been so generous, giving to us above and beyond that which we could ask or think. And yet, despite all Your generosity, despite most of our prayers being answered yes, we tend to get frustrated with the few no's and the few times that You say, wait, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us and give us hearts of faith and hope and encouragement. And uh, may our focus be upon your goodness and these good, good reasons that you have given to us as to why your answers of wait are sometimes very, very important for our well-being and for your glory. I pray, Father, that you would encourage this, your people, and uh, that we would be a praying people, praying with faith and hope and persevering in it, uh, knowing Uh, your goodness. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.